Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good morning to you and a warm welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. Thank you for tuning us on this glorious morning. It is certainly my greatest pleasure to be in your company as we continue to highlight critical issues of national, continental, and global importance in the space of productivity, competitiveness, benchmarking, of course, in the corporate government, as its application cuts across industries and sectors. Once again, welcome to Beyond Governance and yours truly, Nimrod. As always, I'm delighted to bring you, the beloved listener of this wonderful show, thought leaders and captains of industry, and hopefully we have not disappointed you. If I have ever disappointed you, let us know and tell us how to improve the show. There's always room for improvement from where we're sitting. If you miss any of our previous shows, not to worry. Simply download the podcast and listen to intriguing conversation which you've had with Bethany Lavini, who is the president of African Women Energy and Power. Our conversation with Bethany Lavini centered around this seminar organized under the theme Building Inclusive Energy Sector and Sustainable for Sustainable Tomorrow. Most of you would agree with me that Bethany Lamina is knowledgeable and well-experienced uh, in the area of power and energy. The biggest takeaway uh, point for me was the fact that they are advocating for inclusive participation of black women in particular. From that end, they, are, can, be, they can be seen as a catalyst, which is meant to break the glass ceiling in the industry that is not only male-dominated but highly capital-intensive. Truth be told, if you are black and female without social capital, let alone financial capital, the chances of surviving in an industry that is dominated by male and capital intensive that you know you are very much unlikely to succeed. So these seminars are empowering in so many ways. I bet you think so. Don't you think? Anyway, thanks for, thanks for agreeing with me. If you are, if you don't, retrieve the podcast as I indicated earlier and share your thoughts with us. Moving on swiftly, in today's conversation, I'm joined by yet another Lamini. How is that for a coincidence? However, this time around, we have to meet Lamini, who is an attorney by profession, and she's attached to an organization called Organization for Global African Corporation as its chief executive. The thrust of our conversation with Jumi this glorious morning is based on the African peer review mechanism, a report titled drivers of corporate governance in Africa across study analysis. Before we get to the gist of our conversation, allow me to thank the technical producer of the show, Kabisa. Thanks for coordinating the show. And of course, Wilson Machina. And very big thank you guys. Uh, moving on swiftly, I urge you to co- to communicate with us, share your views with us. Very important topic, which I'm going to have with my guests here. Our SMS line is 34509, the telegram 061-895-1095. And of course, your inputs and views are welcome via my Twitter handle, which is Nimrod. Without any waste of time, let me get this opportunity to welcome my guest and thank you for your time to me. Thank you so much, Nimrod, and good morning to you and good morning to your listeners as well. It's a great pleasure to be with you this morning. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed to me. Can you, as, we, as we're starting uh, our very interesting conversation, which I am looking forward to, certainly the listeners will benefit immensely uh, from your end. 
I think it might be useful, not might, it is useful for the listener to comprehend who Tumi Lamin is. Could you just give us an anecdote or who Tumi is? Okay, thank you. Um, so as you have said, my name is Tumi, Itumileng Lamini, and by profession and training, I'm a corporate lawyer, practice law in Johannesburg in London. And currently I work for an organization that's called the African Peer Review Mechanism, where I serve as an advisor on matters of corporate governance on the continent. Thank you very much for that to me. You are certainly the right person to give us uh, in and out of the status of corporate governance in Africa. Can you just perhaps maybe as we contextualize our conversation, uh, you can you give us a sense of what is the African peer review mechanism? Yes. So the African peer review mechanism is an organ of the African Union, which is an intergovernmental organization on the continent, which is very similar to what the European Union is. And the mandate of the APRM is to promote good governance on the continent. And by good governance, we're speaking very broadly. So we're looking at different areas of governance, including democracy and political governance on the one hand, economic governance, corporate governance, and socioeconomic development. So it's quite a broad scope of governance. And so my area of interest in where I work is is within corporate governance, which is where we actually look at the performance of the business sector and the private sector on the continent. And we also assess countries as to their standards, their best practices, and how they can improve on um, corporate governance in their domestic countries. Thank you very much for that explanation, which I think is quite useful to paint the picture as uh, in respect to your conversation. You are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. I am joined by Tumi Jamin, who is an executive at the Organizational Global Africa Corporation, as well as an advisor at the African Peer Review Mechanism. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back just in a second. Do not go away. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. I'm joined by Tumi Lamini, who is the executive at the African Peer Review Mechanism. She is giving us an insight on the report which was published by this entity in, in as far as corporate governance is concerned. Tumi, as we proceed from the conversation that we now, the, the point that you have alluded to, giving us a, a overview of what APRM is all about in the context of the book, I would imagine there are some justifications behind the study. Could you give us a sense of what, you know, what informs the need for, for the study? Uh, yes, certainly. That's a very important question. So as I mentioned earlier on, our role to promote good governance on the continent. So as APRM, we have conducted a number of reviews, 26 in total to date. So which means that we've looked at 26 different countries for their to assess them on broad areas of governance, um, corporate governance being one of them. And when APRM started, we, there was a lot of focus on political governance and democracy of member states. And we found that the the focus really also meant that a lot of our findings revolved around how countries could improve on their political governance. 
However, you know, the Africa of 20 years ago is a very different Africa of today. And in the recent past, we've seen that six of the fastest growing economies are found in Africa. This year, the Africa Free Trade Area Agreement came into effect. And so there is a shift in terms of focusing really on the private sector side of governance and to say, how do we ensure that with so many economies on the continent growing at the speed at which they are and those that are not growing at that speed, there's definitely a need to push them. So the focus has now started to really be on the private sector governance. How do you ensure that we have a strong private sector on the continent that is better governed and that is therefore able to look at how the countries and, and contribute towards the development of the countries? And so as a result, our findings with regards to corporate governance reflected a very poor corporate governance culture in most of the countries that we've looked at. And I must say, it was really across the board. And we found that there were common challenges that member states were facing with regards to corporate governance, simply because corporate governance had not been such a major focus. There'd been a lot of focus on the political side of governance. And so at APRM, we then came to the conclusion that Over and above assessing our member states and giving them findings that they need to improve on corporate governance, we needed to do more. And that more meant that we needed to support our member states to say, how can you actually improve? And so, for instance, Nimrod, only 19 countries out of 55 countries on the continent have put together a code of corporate governance. So most countries don't even have a framework to look at and say, How do we support our private sector and empower them to participate effectively in the economy, not only nationally, but also continentally and globally? And so this is what has informed the study to say in order to support and inform and collaborate with our member states, we need to have a basis to say this is where corporate governance is at this stage in Africa, and we need to get it to a specific level where the where the private sector can participate effectively in the economy. And in order to do so, these are the steps that it would need to follow. So that was really the gist of the study to identify those key main drivers of corporate governance in Africa in order to strengthen and, and improve on, on, on corporate governance. Thanks for that insight to me. And I could not agree with you more that the focus in African politics has been largely more at government level political governance of member states. And I suppose that's that's where things needed to start, given the artificials that you've seen at the political space. And it is quite interesting that based on your assessment of countries that were seen to be fast growing economically, we needed to shift focus and look at the private sector. And mm-hmm. and by looking at the private sector, you obviously picked up major shortcomings in terms of good corporate governance culture. And and having said that, it does begin to make sense, particularly in the context of African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which was ushered in a year or two ago, of which it puts at the center of economic development, amongst other indicators, that is that of corporate governance. So it's quite intriguing to hear that Africa is taking good corporate governance much more seriously, but 
let's sort of unpack the code of uh, the codes that you've mentioned. Mm. That there's about 19 countries that have together. Could you just take us through who these countries are and what sort of framework which would, would lead into us talking about the pillars of good corporate, the pillars of good corporate governance? Yes. So, I mean, I mentioned that there's 19 of them. Obviously, South Africa is one of them. And not only is South Africa one of them, but it was actually the first country to develop a framework for corporate governance into what is now known as the King Code of Corporate Governance. So that happened in 1994. And there are several other countries, Kenya, Nigeria, Egypt, Uganda, Ghana, and and so on, you know. So out of those 19 countries, we see that um, there's a lot of focus, and, and rightly so, there's a lot of focus in terms of their codes on internal governance of companies. So, for instance, board organization, the executives, the decisions that are made by either the board or the executives and the relationship between those. There's also a lot of focus on legal and regulatory effects. So, for instance, the protection of shareholders and so on. Accounting and disclosure features very strongly industry effects and shareholder protection. And, of course, corporate social responsibility to some extent. And all of these really... Absolutely, absolutely. I mean... Can we pass me on that note, take a quick break and, and, and revert back to you just in a second. Uh, you are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimratimel and I'm joined by Tumi Lavini. We are unpacking the EAPRIM report which was published recently. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. Thank you for tuning in. This is Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrat Bele. I'm joined by Tumi Lamini. We are unpacking the EIPRIM report, which was recently uh, released. Uh, before we took that rather break, Tumi, could you, you know, you, made, you mentioned quite a number of interesting points, which I think are worthy of being pursued. One of the things that comes to mind when you talk about co- corporate governance drivers is the board composition and the extent to which the board as an overseer of an entity has to be robust. So what sort of lessons did the report share in terms of just the board composition as one of the controlling environment? Yes. Well, so like I mentioned that we found that when we looked at the frameworks that exist on the continent, issues around board feature quite strongly in terms of corporate governance. And the issues around board relate to board performance on the one hand, and very importantly, composition of the board. Because obviously for the board to effectively manage and discharge its duties in terms of the company's law in whatever country that board operates in, the skill sets are very important. So what we have found is that a lot of the countries, and I was, I'm speaking now specifically with regards to private sector because there are specific issues that relate to board uh, performance within the public sector that is the state-owned enterprises. So the issues around 
board performance are quite key. And we have found as well in that a lot of the countries reports that within the private sector, the composition of the board is, is not conducive for the fulfillment or the discharge of its obligations and duties of care. And what that means is there is a skill set that is necessary to be able to, for the board to function effectively. And we find that there is there isn't enough skills to fulfill those obligations. So, for instance, accounting skills or corporate corporate legal skills in different countries. And, of course, depending on what sector a company operates in, it's also very important to ensure that there is independence. Independence meaning that a, a person who sits on a board and is not necessarily affiliated to the company itself or to any of its subsidiaries. So those are the some of the main issues that we have seen. And of course, if there is no independence within the board, and as we have seen with some of the corporate scandals in South Africa quite recently with Steinhoff, is that there, there are no checks and balances in place. And, and that is where some of the problems begin to emerge within the performance of the board. So I would say that the board really becomes key within corporate governance in terms of whether a company does in fact comply and observe some of the corporate governance practices. Because when we also speak about disclosure issues and transparency, without the necessary checks and balances that must exist within the board vis-a-vis the executive, you find that transparency and disclosure within those companies is very poor. So the board is quite key, yes. I could not agree with you more to me on that issue. I mean, the issue of board composition in terms of diverse skills is critical for the board has that responsibility to provide strategic guidance. One could argue that it's impossible, near impossible for the board to to act diligently if you know if the if it does not have the greatest skills and competencies that are needed. One of the issues that you have raised, which I could not agree with you more, is that of independence of directors. We all know that in every board there has to be non-executive directors yes. whose interest in the main is to create that env- control environment by looking at what is in the best interest of the company and more of a long-term interest of the, of, of the company, not so much about the short-term interest. I've also, you've also alluded to the disclosure and transparency, which has been a major uh, issue and is still a major issue, I suppose, in Africa, in South Africa, in Africa in, in general. When you talk about disclosure, most of the board members, uh, the number of studies, are actually doing business with the entities which they are presiding over. The failure to disclose those kinds of issues are, are quite detrimental to the organization. To what extent that level of consciousness is evolving based on the codes that you refer to and the extent to which there is more uh, awareness of the legal and uh, legal implications of board members who aren't disclosing their statement or who aren't, aren't disclosing their business interests. Yeah. So, you know, Nimrod, I would like to be a very optimistic person, and I am. But the reality on the ground is that there's still a lot of work to be done um, in terms of making sure that 
a culture develops within the private sector of good governance. And as we know, cultures take a long time, they evolve over time. But what we're encouraged about is that we're beginning to see that there is a starting point that most countries have started. Just yesterday, I was invited to participate in a discussion in Ghana, which I attended virtually. And Ghana is about to draft its first code of corporate governance. And it's a private sector-led initiative. And, and what this means is there is a real understanding and appreciation of the fact that without good governance, businesses cannot be sustainable. And without sustainability of businesses, businesses are not able to contribute to economic growth in the countries and therefore cannot employ the numbers of people that are required to be employed, particularly the youth in Africa. So there is, it is evolving, but it will take time. You know, last week I attended a similar meeting in Liberia and it's launching its Institute of Directors. And that similarly goes to show that over and above talking about frameworks um, for corporate governance, there's also the people aspect of it, because essentially the Institute of Directors, its members are compliance officers, directors, and so on. So people themselves are beginning to take cognizant of the need for good corporate governance because, you know, I mean, we live in a continent that has been mirrored in in poverty and, and inequality. And so we are all beginning to recognize the role of the private sector to contribute towards economic development on the continent. And corporate governance will be the cornerstone of that development and contribution by the private sector. I couldn't agree with you more, Jimmy, from the economic point of view, but we know that, as you've correctly pointed out, there are a lot of engraved inequalities in the continent, and private sector's role in a nutshell is to contribute towards the, you know, enhancing the GDP. And, and given the fact that most of the private sector in Africa are still at the nascent stage, yes. um, it is important that, you know, the incoming generation of entities, particularly migrating from small businesses, informal businesses to small businesses, to a bigger businesses, it is important that you create a good pedigree of your performance for you. Without that, you are able to attract investment. Yeah. So corporate governance ultimately is all about how you create that positive outlook, a way of attracting crowding in investments in your entity. Nobody will ever invest in an organization that is not properly governed, properly run, because that's just simply a waste of time and, and resources. So it's quite interesting to hear that these codes that I imagine are addressing those basic issues which are needed for any business to go into business. You 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 depend on loans, it depends on, on, on equities from, from other markets. Yeah. The, you can only acquire those resources at the back of a very solid you know corporate governance, which obviously, you know, you've talked about the board composition and so on and so forth. But again, can we look at in the same token, we juxtapose the evolution of good governance in respect to the rating agencies. I tell you why, because the rating agencies are one of those entities that give indication on on the health of an organisation to a point where they could access 
international markets or international resources. Does the report speak about the linkages? If not, how do we begin to foster this integration or awareness of not only the rating agencies, but any other financial institution who relies on the reports by the rating agencies in terms of the levels of, of confidence an organization is displaying? You know, that's a very key issue that we are grappling with as APRM and I think as primarily as countries, because what we have found is that the rating agencies obviously use a number of indicators, which are largely indicators that would apply in developed economies. So, you know, we when, when they rate countries, they're basically comparing apples and oranges which we have found is actually also an issue with regards to even just what our own codes of corporate governance in our countries tend to specify. I'll give you an example. You know, I've spoken about our findings with regards to what some of the challenges on corporate governance are. But if you actually look at the existing frameworks and codes of corporate governance on the continent, these frameworks are largely imported from Europe in other Western countries. And at the time that they were developed in Europe by either the OECD or, you know, the UK Weights Foundation, those codes were designed to apply to companies or to business environments that are highly developed. So when we import those codes into Africa, you will find that there is very little compliance with regards to corporate governance. And the part of the reason is because we operate within a completely different business landscape, which is dominated by SMEs and less by listed entities and, and less so by even larger unlisted entities. So there is really a, a mismatch between what we have put in place over a period of time for our own companies to comply with and what the expected outcome is. So you will, so rating agencies will always find it difficult to record an outcome of companies that are, that are performing well, simply because they are being rated or ranked in accordance with instruments that were developed for larger economies, larger economies with very sophisticated companies that are listed and so on. So then we've had to actually just go back and say within a developing economy and a developing continent, do these instruments actually serve the purpose for which they're intended, which is to say, can we rely on these OECD instruments to ensure that we improve corporate governance? And the answer has been, there is a need to ensure that we adjust the existing codes, the existing instruments and standards to ensure that it is fit for purpose for the African environment, which is, as I say, dominated by SMEs and to a very large extent, the informal sector when you move outside of South Africa. So we've taken the view that on the one hand, with regards to rating agencies, there's a need to engage them and, and bring this to the fore to say, you know, do you need to revise the manner in which you assess and rank African economies and African countries? Because this is the sort of um, commercial environment that we operate within. On the other hand, we've also had to, in our work of developing the African principles 
on corporate governance, we've had to take a step back and say, what is it, what sort of um, private sector do we have on the continent? And what are the sort of levels of um, interventions that are required in order to make sure that our companies can operate um, on a larger global stage. Where it comes to listed entities, of course, the answer is quite easy because most of them, in fact, all of them, you know, will comply with, you know, the Capital Markets Act, the stock exchanges rules and regulations. But the issue always comes with the SMMEs, where we need SMMEs to gradually grow and get into the larger stage. And so our codes of corporate governance that we've developed for Africa take into consideration the need for interventions within the SMMEs and within the informal sector. And that is the first of its kind that's been done um, you know, globally to ensure that corporate governance does not only relate to larger entities, but it looks at SMEs and the informal sector as well. No, thank you very much for that um, insight, which I, I find very intriguing that uh, it, there is some level of recognition on the, the, the diversity of, of the African market and the extent to which there's not fit for purpose in terms of the OECD um, uh, uh, template, so to speak, which doesn't necessarily speak to the African market. And truth be told, that is the responsibilities of the African leaders to, to shape and inform these templates or to customize these templates to address the needs of a population or to needs of the market, which is predominantly uh, in an informal setup, yeah. which on its own creates enormous challenges which uh, needs to be overcome. So, I mean, I think uh, based on what you have presented, that recognition is quite important, and it does suggest that there is kind of uh, thinking and which will gravitate towards more of um, Progressive governments instruments that are applicable in in the African continent. One of the issues that we find, you know, difficulties is access to data uh, information in, mm-hmm. in, in informing some of decisions that in, that that influences governing institutions. To what extent data driven decisions are coming through from the ERPM? Uh, to begin to address some of these governance issues. Are there challenges in terms of collecting data? Um, is, uh, what is the sufficiency of data, the relevance of data? Could you just give us high-level thinking on yes. the data and driving changes around the corporate governance landscape in Africa? You know, data collection has remained one of our biggest challenges in terms of the work that we do. And we rely so much on data because all policy has to be informed by data. And, you know, even though we're an intergovernmental organization, each member state is represented at APRM through the different structures, we still find it quite hard to, number one, retrieve data from the different countries And number two, once we have that actual data to ensure that we can refer back to the sources of data to verify the data. So the verification is also still very challenging for us. Um, So we have to rely quite a lot on the statistics departments of each country. But, you know, it's a work in progress. And I think that's one area which you've just mentioned, which we need to improve on, because without 
accurate data coming in, it's, impo- it's, it's not easy, therefore, to develop the sort of policies that will address the challenges on the ground. So I would say that it is very much a work in progress. And um, hopefully, you know, what COVID-19 has done is to ensure that we all in our countries recognize the importance of um, online and digital work. So I think that will, in a way, serve to assist countries and us as well to say moving into digital spaces, uh, we archive digitally, but also we exchange information digitally. So that, I think, will tend to improve how we work and, and certainly will improve the outcomes. Absolutely. Let's just have a quick break and come back just in a second. Do not go away. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. My name is Limrat and I'm joined by Dumit Amin, who is an advisor at the African Peer Review Mechanism. Wonderful insight, wonderful conversations that are taking place for, I believe, a lot of insights that any investor in Africa is likely to, to learn more and more about how corporate governance is taking shape in an African continent. As you all know, this show is mainly about tapping into the thinking, the latest thinking around topical issues in the continent. And one of those is corporate governance, which um, has taken a back seat. Uh, but suddenly, I mean, because of the economic growth uh, in the continent, there is a sharp focus on the need to shape up the corporate governance landscape, or there is a positive correlation between how entities are managed, governed, and held to account with the kind of investments that is needed. And to me here, um, is quite knowledgeable in that particular space, and we're quite grateful for those kinds of insight. As we gravitated towards the last bit of our, our conversation, with Dumi on the report that was released by African Peer Review Mechanism. Dumi, as you've correctly pointed out, there's a lot that still needs to happen, uh, and you, your cup is half full. Uh, uh, it's not happening. You said you're a realistic person. And, and that goes to show um, where you are at. We all need to be positive. What else can you look out for from ERPM point of view in terms of advocacy and communicating? This kind of report, for it is important that they are disseminated and shared as well as possible yes. across research organizations, across universities, private sector. How do we get this message out there, particularly on the positive things that has happened, which people can leverage on, institutions, governments, NGOs, even ordinary folks can leverage on and begin to build that culture of governance? You know, we've also in the recent past recognized that over and above the work of assessing um, countries and making recommendations to countries, there is a much greater need opposed the review of countries to ensure that we advocate for the necessary changes. So what we do at APRM is to work very closely with civil society organizations. Quite recently, um, we've also launched what we call a network of non-state actors, which basically means that we've brought together civil society organizations, academia, we've brought together different representatives of, of different groups, such as, um, you know, women, in um, women representative groups in different countries. We've brought together the private sector to say, how do we as a collective ensure that once we've identified 
um, challenges and we've put together recommendations. We do not only rely on APRM to advocate for the changes, but that the advocacy comes from the people on the ground, from the civil society, and that the advocacy for the necessary changes comes also from the academia, and not also not only just in terms of advocating um, for change, but academia has become very important um, in the sense that we need to ensure that we have synergies um, and we need to ensure as well that the information that we are curating is also finds its place in the lecture rooms and that children who are our future leaders also have access to this information and they can use it constructively in order to come up with better solutions for the next generation. So it's, it's you know, again, I, I keep on referring back to the same words, which is it is a work in progress. Um, we have identified it as one of maybe the weaknesses um, of APRM in the sense that um, we have not been fully engaged with academia in the past. That's beginning to change. And civil society has always played a, a very important role in the work of APRM, but it needs to play even a better role post the review of a country. I couldn't agree with you more. And for that insight, the, um, the role of the civil society organization is actually the corner, it's actually the cornerstone, cornerstone of development. Uh, the network that you've made, uh, that you've referred to, I could not agree with you more completely, completely. A lot of them, I mean, uh, academia, uh, youth groups, private sector organizations, and most importantly, you touched on the educational stakeholders for these issues don't have to sit in high towers. Uh, institutions also have to be part of the grassroots learning. If more and more uh, you know, kids are exposed to the thinking around not only corporate governance, but yeah. most of issues of productivity, efficiency, ethics, and ethical conduct, all these issues must find expression in education anywhere for us, you know, to take the country moving forward. Um, look, this is quite fascinating, and I, I certainly hope to have more time in the future. But as we're wrapping up, Dumi, what has been your biggest highlight in your capacity as an advisor for the African Period Review Mechanism? I would say, you know, my biggest highlight happens pretty much on an annual basis and quite often during the year too. That is whenever I go to a different country and I engage with some of the most ordinary people in those countries um, to see the sort of inspiration um, that we bring and to be inspired in return by people. Because at the end of the day, the work that we do honestly requires us um, we are public servants, and it requires us to ensure that at all times we understand that the work that we do is intended to impact the ordinary person. And that is what imp- inspires me and remains my highlight. On that note, we're going to have to leave it there for we have run out of time. Do we thank you very much for gracing uh, Beyond Governance uh, Airwaves. Uh. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. And I also thank your listeners for listening in into this conversation. Absolutely. There we go. That was Dumit uh, Lamini, who is an advisor at the African Peer Review Mechanism, giving us critical insights on the work that has been done by this wonderful institution, um, which is yet to unravel, as you can see. Not if you know the status of public governance in Africa. That is the baseline. It's all our responsibility, investors, academia, NGOs, 
and everyone else who is really concerned about, um, you know, promoting the stature of Africa that we want to have and what which one to see and have a role to play. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. It has been absolutely a pleasure to have you listening and thank you for choosing us. We chose you. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. 